us continue to be faithful to his goodness and to his word and serve our community and continue to grow um, his kingdom. We are in a series on Nehemiah. And what an amazing book. What are, there's so many things that we can learn from this book. And last week, um, Pastor Steve got us started. And this week, we want to just kind of pick up right where he left off and, and move on. And so turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2, because that's where we're, we're going to continue on from. Last week, we heard about how Nehemiah went to the king. And he told the king about his dream. And he told the king about the vision that he had about going back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the wall. And Nehemiah gets the permission from the king to go back to Jerusalem. But he gets more than just permission to go back. He gets a letter that gives him safe passage, and he also gets a letter that gives him access to the king's forest. And so now Nehemiah is safe, and also he has some um, resources to be able to go back to Jerusalem with to rebuild the wall. And in um, first. Chapter 2, verse 11 of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verse 11, we read here that he goes back to Jerusalem, and I just want to read that for us. Nehemiah writes, he goes, I went back to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate through the jackal well, well and the dun gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem, and, and we don't know that people know who he was, you know, was, did he come with a big entourage of people? We don't really know the details of that. But what we do know is that he spends three days in Jerusalem doing nothing before he says anything. He first takes some time then after having spent three days there and people may have been going, who is this guy that just showed up in town and he's staying at Larry's Inn and he's just kind of hanging out for three days doing nothing. But after three days, Nehemiah gets on, you know, on on a mount and he travels around the Jerusalem wall to take a look. He doesn't show up saying, here I am, I'm going to rebuild your wall. He doesn't show up with a bunch of resources and a bunch of people and saying, we're going to do the work for you. He goes at nighttime when no one's looking and he personally examines what the needs are. And then he begins to bring the people on board because he knows that this is a project, this is a job for not one person but for everyone. Everyone needs to get involved in rebuilding this wall. Everyone needs to get involved in doing their part. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. Nehemiah here goes right to the heart. The wall of Jerusalem is in ruins. Jerusalem lies in ruins, people. Now you may say, well, it's kind of interesting that he tells them this. Why would he have to tell them this? Because sometimes when people are in ruins, they become so familiar with those ruins. They become so familiar with the mess that they stop worrying about it. 
Those of you that drive to Windsor every morning or you drive a certain road every day, you can probably at certain places already close your eyes and avoid the potholes, right? You're driving along and it's like, yeah, okay, good, missed it. We have a spot on our streets, on Marlboro Street, one block from us, and for the longest time there's this huge pothole there. And even now, even though they fixed it, I still swerve to miss that spot. Why? Because I come, become so familiar with that mess. I become so familiar with that pothole. Just kind of work around it. And it's almost as if Nehemiah here is telling the people, look around, see it through the eyes of a visitor. There's a mess to be cleaned up. There's a mess to be worked with. The other reason he may have told them this so bluntly and so straightforward is because sometimes when we are around a mess all the time, we become so discouraged that we think nothing can be done about it. I remember when I was in Bolivia talking to somebody there, and I said to the guy just kind of casually, why don't you just pick up some of the garbage? Your place is littered with garbage. Why not just pick up some garbage? And he said to me in German, he says, what does it matter? What does it matter that if I pick up a little bit of garbage, look at this place, completely discouraged. The ruins, the mess, the debris, the rubble had gotten to this person. And it sounds like it may have gotten to the Israelites so much, to these Jews, that they don't really even see it, they don't care, they think there's nothing that can be done about it. But then comes the challenge from Nehemiah. Come, he said, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. The challenge is to rebuild. But the reason for it is interesting. So that we will no longer be in disgrace. Nehemiah draws a parallel between the condition of the wall and the condition of the people. If the wall is in disgrace, if the shape of the wall, it seems that he's saying this is representing your condition. This is representing how you are. So come, let us rebuild the wall and then we will no longer be in disgrace. Doesn't this happen to us too? Where maybe there's just one area of our lives that we need to rebuild. There's maybe one area of our lives where we really struggle in. And because we don't do anything with that one area of our lives, sometimes we feel like all of us is bad. Listen to the response of the people. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, they replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Now Nehemiah chapter 3 is all about how they rebuilt the wall. And if you can pronounce all those names, good for you. I just have to do a lot of, and then that person um, did that with that person, and then they, you know, because I just can't do all the words. And I was like, thanks, Steve, for giving me chapter 3 to preach. I'll just... Uh, come up here and, you know, so I'm just going to kind of skip over most of that. In chapter 3, they rebuild the wall. Or they get back and they start rebuilding the wall. But not everybody was excited about rebuilding the wall. See, Nehemiah didn't just want to come and have a few people. He wanted everyone to get involved. And that's basically what happens. The people began to use their gifts. They began to use the skills that they have, or they had. Locksmiths, um, gold people that worked with gold and different people like that, they all get into it and they start rebuilding this wall. But there's this one group, it says that they did not put their shoulder to the work in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5. But the good thing is that that did not stop the progress. That did not stop the work. 
So there were a few people that said, no, we're not going to really you know, get involved. But the work continued regardless. As you read through this chapter, you see that a lot of progress is made, but a lot, of more, lot more work needed to be done. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, as the wall is slowly beginning to be put up, and, and maybe there's been some opposition internally, for the first time they start to face some strong opposition from outside. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates in the armies of Samaria. In the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring back the stones? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? There is nothing like being in the midst of a task that seems overwhelming and difficult, and then having somebody on the outside drinking their Tim Hortons coffee and going, what do you think you're doing? That looks impossible. And this is what these people are experiencing. There is Sambalot and his buddy, and they're standing there saying, what do you think you're doing? Can this really be done? Listen to the insults. It says, what are these feeble Jews doing? In other words, who do you guys think you are? You're just these left-behind Jews. All the good people were exiled and taken into captive. And you guys are just kind of left alone behind because you were no good. You weren't even good enough for the captors. What are you guys doing? Now you're going to try to... You know, what, what do you guys think you're up to? Will they restore their wall? In other words, look at this mess. You can't fix this. Come on, guys. There's no way. Are they going to really fix this mess? Will they offer sacrifices? telling us that most likely they haven't been offering sacrifices, and what, now all of a sudden you're going to start sacrificing again? You're going to start worshipping God again? Will you finish in a day? It's kind of sarcasm there saying, like, this thing is going to take forever. What, you guys think you can finish this in a day? This is going to take you forever. You'll never get this task done. Can they bring these stones back to life from the heaps of rubble? Look at this massive mess. You guys really think that these stones can be used again to build this wall up? This, it's impossible. I hope as you're listening to the insults of Sambalot to the Jews, you begin to hear the same tone that the devil uses with us all the time. Do you really think you can do it? Who do you think you are? My goodness, I can't believe you did that again. Look at the mistake you made. You really think that you can worship God? Look at the mess you're in. You think that your life can be used by God? There's a tone that I've often heard the devil in my life taunting me, trying to discourage me. When we rebuild, there will be opposition. Most naysayers have a fellow naysayer. They just do. And Sanballat's fellow naysayer was a guy by the name of Tobiah. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was, with, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed upon it, it would break down their wall of stones. Listen to the selfish motive behind these petty insults. Why 
say stuff like this for no other reason. There is no real reason to not have them rebuild the wall. The only reason for these two men is because if that wall is rebuilt, their control over Jerusalem is over. And so here are these men, they come up with these petty little insults to discourage the people from rebuilding. To discourage the people from ever taking and going back to work and rebuilding the ruins. Sometimes in the midst of our rebuilding, whether it's a project or something in our lives, it doesn't take much to get discouraged. And that is the goal of these two men. But regardless of these insults, the people, they do keep on rebuilding. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. These people's hearts were in it. They had a strong leader. Someone who was motivating them, encouraging them. And even though they were being taunted and discouraged, the people continued to work with all their heart. Next week, Pastor Steve is going to pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 7. So we'll leave this story here, but let's look into this a little bit as to what it may mean for our lives. What needs or what needed to be rebuilt? For Nehemiah, it was simple. The wall of Jerusalem. It was so clear. There it is. Heaps of rubble. That is what needed to be rebuilt. But what about our lives? What needs to be rebuilt in your life today? It could be a number of things. Each one of us is here today with different needs, different scars, different burdens, different guilt. In my working with people, I have discovered that there are three main areas where people face the most ruins or rubble or debris in their life. It is in the area of their relationship with other people, their relationship with the church, and their relationship with Christ. Very often when I talk to people and I say, what is an area of your life you would like to change? Usually they don't say, well, you know, I would really like a better car. Or man, if I have a bigger TV, if there's something that people really need to change, almost always it is around the area of a relationship. Some relationship in their life is not what they wish it was. And most often, most often, People will say, my relationship with Christ is not what it should be. If I could change something about myself, my relationship with Christ, I would like it to be better. As it was with the walls of Jerusalem, or the wall of Jerusalem, when the people were, when the wall was in ruins, the people were in disgrace. I already mentioned this a little bit, but isn't that how it can be with our lives? When there's one part of us that is in ruins, we feel like all of us is a mess. People may say that, you know, I I wouldn't, I would like to do this or this, or I would like to serve God. Man, I got this anger problem. And, ah, you know, I just better not. Or I've got this and this issue. Or I'm, I'm struggling with this or this sin. Or I haven't let go of whatever it might be. And because of these little things in our lives, because of this one area of our lives, One area of our life, we're willing to say, I'm not doing anything. All of us, the whole part of us, 
in a sense, is in disgrace. Last year, we rebuilt our kitchen. We remodeled it. We renovated it. Whatever the word is. And I got a couple of pictures here for you, but we didn't rebuild from the ground up. Isn't that a beauty? We didn't rebuild. That's not how it is now, by the way. Just so you're clear on that. We didn't build from the ground up. We didn't take, you know, and tear down that whole part of the house and take out the foundation and lay a new foundation. The foundation was fine. The foundation was good. The ceiling, most of those things, there wasn't that much wrong with it. It's just we didn't like the way it was. And so because we didn't like the way it was, we had to tear out. We had to get rid of the old. We had to get rid of the things that we didn't like. And in the midst of that, next slide, here's a lot of mess. Don't I look like a happy character? My wife always knows when to take pictures of me. It's like, you know, people are always saying, you should smile more. She just always takes pictures when I'm not smiling. Most of the time I'm smiling, but <laughs> nice try. So we got this mess. Next picture. I want you to just look at that for a moment. You see, one thing I came to understand very quickly that dust like that and mess like that, it seems to travel through walls. We had put up a sheet of plastic into our living room and we tried to do everything we could to contain the mess. But one thing we found out was even though we were, you know, trying to keep all the mess in our kitchen, eventually parts of that mess made it all through our house. And there was debris, rubble, little pieces of dust that traveled all over the place. And I think that's how it is with sin. That there's maybe one area of our lives that we need to clean up. It's just the kitchen. If people would have asked, oh, you, you, you're ripping apart the whole house? No, just the kitchen. We're just tearing out the kitchen. Well, then why is there a mess? All, why is there dust upstairs in your bedroom? Because that's what happens when there's a mess in one part of the house. It travels all around the room. And that's the way it is with sin. When there's sin in one area of our lives, it impacts every area of our life. And that is why Nehemiah says, let's rebuild the wall so that we will no longer be in disgrace. Even in, when it was like this, Maria and I, we decided, you know, we're not really going to have people over a lot. It affected how we lived. It affected the things we did because when the house is a mess like this, we really didn't want a lot of people over because we felt that it was too messy. This is how it is with our lives. When we allow sin to enter in one area. When we allow a certain mess in certain areas of our lives, it has a, an effect. Now let's go then to the words of Nehemiah that he said to the people. He says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Let us rebuild. Come, let us rebuild this thing so that we will no longer be in disgrace. So may I want to ask you then, what area of your life do you need to rebuild? What needs to be rebuilt in your life? What area of your life is causing a mess in every area of your life? Do you have a mess that you need to clean up? Are there ruins that you need to rebuild? Is there rubble that you need to remove? You see, it's one thing for us to get rid of a mess like this. You call over a couple of good friends that have pickup trucks, and we load that up, and we get someone with a really good shop vac, and we go around, and in about a day, most of that is gone. It's a little different when it's in our own lives. 
It's a little different when it's our life that needs cleaning. And I want to suggest to us today on how we can rebuild our life. Number one, obvious, we need to get rid of the mess. How do you do that? It's different than taking a shovel to it. I want to suggest two different ways that we can get rid of a mess in our lives. Number one, we forgive. Whatever caused your pain, whoever hurt you, whoever wronged you, no matter how great or small, no matter how deeply wronged you were, forgiveness is the first step in cleaning up a mess in your life. People who don't forgive live among the rubble. And often they grow bitter, they grow angry, or they just get used to it. And they give up. Forgiveness is going to be one of the most difficult things anybody will ever ask you to do. To look at somebody and say, I forgive you. Or to simply say it to God. I forgive that person. I forgive what happened to me. I forgive the wrong that was done to me. will be one of the hardest things you will ever do. But if you want to get rid of the mess in your life, it is step number one. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22 Peter has this question for Jesus. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times. You see, when we were renovating, we would, you know, we would have cleaned all up and then you, know, you move a little something like, ah, bring the vac back, we missed something. We didn't quite get it all. And, and even as we were starting to you know, think that we had it all kind of cleaned up, we're moving around and all of a sudden like, oh, you know, we found some mess in another room and we had to sweep again. We had to wash the floors again. We had to wipe down the walls again. We had to continuously go back and clean up until all the mess was gone. And that's the way it is with forgiveness. You cannot simply say, oh, I'm going to forgive and forget. There is no such thing. If somebody's told you that, oh, because you forgave a person, that you should now forget about it and leave it in the past, try to leave it in the past, but you won't be able to forget about it. Forgive again and again and again. And just like with the mess that you saw there, the more often we cleaned up, the less and the less and the less we had to do again and again. Forgiveness. The second thing, I just want to add this, cleaning up the mess is never fun but it's the only way to move forward. And the second thing that you may need to do to clean up the mess in your life is kind of the opposite side of it, is you may need to repent. When we have wronged somebody, or when we have been the one that has hurt somebody, when we have been the one that has sinned, when we have sinned against God, the only way that you will clear up the mess, the only way that you will clean up that mess is by going and repenting for what you've done. By taking and admitting to the fault that you, were, that, you, that you made. By going before God and saying, I am a sinner. I need to repent. Forgive me, God. If we are unwilling to repent because of pride or whatever it may be, but when we are unwilling to repent, we carry the burden of sin and it causes our lives to be a mess. We carry a burden of sin and it causes us to be useless. That kitchen was of no use to us. Why? Because it was such a mess. Unless we are willing to repent, we cannot 
clean up the mess in our lives. Mostly because there's guilt. John chapter 1 verses 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So do you have a mess in your life? Is there something in your life right now? You're thinking about and you're saying, yeah, I have had that there for so long. I have held on to some kind of bitterness. I've held on to something. Will you forgive? Will you repent? But as you do, know that there will be opposition. Just like Sambalot and Tobias taunted the Israelites as they rebuilt the wall, Satan will stand there and he will taunt you. Why? Because he knows that when you rebuild that part of your life, that he loses control. Sambalot, he was a governor. He had a lot to lose here. He had been sent in to sort of replace the Jews that had been exiled, and now here he was, and all of a sudden these people are beginning to rebuild this wall, and he's in, no, 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 I don't want this wall rebuilt because then I lose control. And when we rebuild the areas of our lives that are a mess, Satan loses control. And that's why he will be in opposition to you always. When we are challenged to forgive or repent, the devil will be there telling you that it's not necessary. He will say things like, you don't need to forgive. You were wronged more than they. You didn't do anything that bad. What you did wasn't, you know, my goodness, it happened so long ago. What are you worried about? Let it go. And he will do whatever he can to keep you where you are. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, Peter says, resist him. Can I ask you two questions then? Do you need to forgive someone today? And do you need to repent of something today? You can be free. Maybe you've been lied to for a long time and told that you can't. But you can be free. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to give you life so that you can have it abundantly. The second thing that we will need to do in order to rebuild is reframe. i got some shots here of my buddies coming in. They didn't just hold coffee cups the whole time. Well, you can see in the background, behind the hard workers, the new insulation is in, some of the new studs are in. Next picture, you can see the beam, new floor has been put in, the, the, hard, I mean, the plywood, and, and slowly things are being put in, and finally the kitchen is being put in. And it's being reframed. What you must do is not just get rid of the mess. If during our you know, renovations, if all you did was get rid of the mess and then you stand there going, wow, nice kitchen, isn't it? It wouldn't really have served this purpose. But during renovation, there's nothing like finally getting rid of the old and putting in the new stuff. There's nothing like tearing out and then finally you begin to see the new wood show up, the new lumber being put in, the drywall being put in, and then finally the nice new coat of paint. And slowly the mess is gone and the building is the way you want it to be. If you only get rid of the mess, 
and you never reframe your life, you are not living up to your potential. If you are only getting rid of the mess and you never reframe, you are not living to the potential that God has for you. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 to 45, it says this, When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through a rid places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of the person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now I understand that this verse is speaking specifically to when an evil spirit has been driven out of a person. But let us learn the lesson let us learn this lesson from the text. That the devil wants to bring us into ruin. All he wants is for our lives to be in ruin. So reframe. Get rid of the mess. But then reframe your life. Go after the heart of God. Seek after His will. Desire His Word. Spend time with Him. Allow God to shape you. Allow God to put your life in the direction that He wants it to be. Not just spending day after day after day only cleaning up mess. You see, sometimes we just clean up and we never reframe. All we are busy with is trying to get rid of the mess. But there's a point in our lives when the mess is gone, we must reframe, we must set out in the direction that God has for our lives. Our kitchen, it went from looking like this to looking like this. Okay, you guys aren't all that pleased. That's amazing. Thank you very much. You don't need to clap. Let me just show you this again. It went from this to this. Okay, you don't... Let me ask you a question. Could your life go from this to this? Seriously. Is your life right now what you want it to be? Is your relationship with people what you want it to be? Or is it something that you walk into every day and go, man, what could this be? Wow, what kind of potential could there be? Do you need to rip out some things? Do you need to remove a mess and then reframe so that it can be what God wants? Jeremiah chapter 29, 10-14 says this, This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are complete from Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I love this next part. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I had banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place where, from which I have carried you into exile. The heart of that is this. God wants to restore us. God has a plan for you. 
God has a plan for your life. Jesus died on the cross so that you could live to your potential. So how will you respond? You know, in the midst of our renovations, there were some very kind people. They would invite us out to their houses and we would go and have dinner there. And then, you know, we're like, ah, look at how clean everything is and everything's so nice. And You know, because sometimes when you're in the midst of that renovation, you're just sick of it. You're just so tired of the mess. You're just so tired of the fact that nothing is the way it's supposed to be. And we would be at these people's homes and we'd have this great meal and then we would drive home and dreading, kind of like, oh. We knew what was waiting for us and we'd open the front door and yeah, there it is. Is that the way it is with some of our lives? You're just sick of the sin. You're sick of the mess. I want to ask you today, how will you respond? I want to pray and then I want to I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now through your Holy Spirit that you would move in the hearts of people right now. That we would respond to you. So touch us, O God, by your Holy Spirit. Right where you are, you can keep your head down. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, And you know that right now your life is a mess. And you want to say today, I want to clean it up. Would you raise your hand? You're saying today, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. Lots of hands. How awesome. Your life is a mess. You're saying, Jesus, come into my life. Maybe there's others of you that you are a believer. But you know you're not where you're supposed to be. You know that the condition of your life right now is not what it should be. And you're saying, I need to remove a mess in my life. Would you put your hand up and say, pray for me. I want to clear up my life. And I want to be reframed. I want to do the things that God wants. Amen. Let's pray. Keep your hands up. Let's, I want to pray for you. Father, you saw every hand that went up that said, I want to invite you into. I pray, God, that these people that are desiring to invite you into their life, I just encourage you, pray this prayer. Just simply pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And I invite you into my heart. Come clean up my life and then reframe my life and make it what you want it to be if you've just prayed that prayer Jesus has come into your life now I'm going to pray for the rest of us Lord I pray for those of us in this room that we've followed God for maybe quite a while we've been living as Christians but maybe we've allowed one area of our lives or a couple of areas of our our lives to just become a mess. Lord Jesus, we repent and we ask that you would forgive us. And I pray, oh God, that you would come and cleanse us 
as you say you will do in 1 John 1, 9. And Father, we thank you for new life. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you, Jesus, that you are patient with us. And I just pray that all these that have placed their, raised their hands, God, that they would find somebody that would encourage them and work with them. I pray this in your name. Amen. I just want to say to those of you that raise your hands, Nehemiah didn't come and do this alone. He wanted everybody on board. And if you're here today and you say, yeah, I want Jesus into my heart. I ask Jesus into my heart. or I, I want to work through some issues in my life. I want to encourage you. Come talk to myself, Pastor Steve, Pastor Richard, Pastor Peter, and the deacons and the elders. This is not a journey you need to do on your own. So I want to encourage you. We are available here for you. Come and speak to us. God bless you. Please stand.